folks. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Janet and James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 25th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Janet and Ramcharan, the podcast. <laughs> What's the matter? Cat got your tongue? <laughs> Morning, folks. Up at the crack of dawn here, 425 in the a.m. Eastern Standard Time, February 25th, 2020. Let's go! Go up. So, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. Yes. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. Look at the bags under them eyes, boy. Look at those crow's feet, boy. Look at that old crow with them crow's feet, boy. Them bags under them eyes, boy. You know, as a thespian actor extraordinaire, it's all about your looks. Nah, nah, for some people. But, um, you know, you want to stay vital, you want to stay relevant, you want to stay happening. And that's like in any career field, you know, whatever you're doing, you want to be up to snuff with what you're rocking with to stay competitive in today's market. Yes. And as an actor extraordinaire, I do think about those things from time to time. Look at them bags under them eyes, boy. Look at them crow's feet, boy. You know, you try to keep yourself in shape, vital. And it's the same thing like if you were a pianist, you know. You do your little stretches, keep your fingers nice and uh, agile. If you're a plumber, you know, ideally you would stay fit, able to um, perform the tasks of, um, you know, a tradesman. Or a teacher, you know, you would like to have, I don't know, some brains, Ideally, though I don't think I've ever met a teacher that knew a goddamn thing, but, um, you know, ideally, you know, you would like to keep up to snuff as a professional in whatever racket you're rocking with. And it's no different as an actor extraordinaire. Yes. And part of that is keeping a, keeping an eye keeping an eye out and an ear open to um, the industry. And as I am an entertainer, I am very aware of the current news stories in the entertainment world. And it really boggles my mind because, you know, actor extraordinaire, as I've said, Banging it out up at the crack of dawn. (laughs) You know, banging it out here on YouTube. Then I hear stories of various other performers and I find it inspiring. And I also find it like mind boggling. And while I don't always like to speak on, you know, 
stories, issues, gossip that has nothing to do with me, you know, I don't shy away from it. And, um, you know, like, for example, something right now that I I take a lot of inspiration from, but I don't want to really get too outspoken on is the whole Kobe Bryant uh, situation. Basketball legend Kobe Bryant tragically passed away in a helicopter crash, along with his teenage daughter, the pilot, several other people, um, Kobe being the most socially recognizable one, the famous one out of the bunch. And it was just an overall tragic story. And yesterday I couldn't help but notice um, they were broadcasting the Kobe, Kobe Bryant Memorial. Yet all these very talented, famous um, athletes, you know, performers, probably a few politicians too, but just basically a lot of these high-profile people whom Kobe Bryant had um, touched in his time here on Earth. And, you know, you know, it was very you know, inspirational at such a sad time to think about a man who, you know, really exemplified hard work, dedication, a strong mindset, perseverance, you know, excellence, you know? And that's the type of athlete he was, the type of man he was, and in a very general sense, the type of performer he was. You know, obviously father, um, husband, human being, basketball player, obviously those come first, but in a very general sense, that's the type of performer he was. And that's the inspiration I took from that. And then on the flip side, on the flip side, the parallel being like, there's been some very strange, disturbing um, entertainment stories as of late. Check this one out. This one just boggles my mind. This is from globalnews.ca. Steven Spielberg's daughter, Michaela, becomes adult entertainer. My body, my life. This is an article by Megan Rye. The 23-year-old who was adopted as a baby by Spielberg and wife Kate Capshaw, says she sees her new path as empowering. She hopes to work as an adult dancer. Once she gets her sex worker license, she told The Sun in an exclusive interview. 
I got really tired of not being able to capitalize on my body, and frankly, I got really tired of being told to hate my body, she said. <clears throat> As if anybody told her that. <laughs> hate your body. Who the fuck told her that? I also got tired of working day to day in a way that wasn't satisfying my soul. So what, dropping to your knees and sucking cock fulfills you spiritually? God bless you. Anyway. I feel like doing this kind of work, I'm able to satisfy other people, but that feels good because it's not in a way that makes me feel violated. Because I'm completely delusional. Michaela Spielberg revealed the lifestyle change to her parents via FaceTime over the weekend. She said, adding that they were not upset about her decision. My safety has always been a number one priority for them, she said. I'm doing this because I want to honor my body in a way that is lucrative, while completely dishonoring the family. I actually think that once they see how far I've come from the bottom I was at a year and a half ago, they're going to look at this and go, wow, we actually raised a really self-assured young lady. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> On top of feeling empowered by her career choice, she also hopes it will help her become financially independent from her famous parents. My main hope is just that I get somewhere lucrative enough to where I'm not being tied down financially by things, Spielberg said to the publication. Then I can start saying to people, there's nothing wrong with me using my body in a way that feels comfortable to support myself. I can't stay dependent on my parents or even the state for that matter. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It just doesn't feel comfortable to me. So what? Ball gagged on all fours feels more comfortable to you? What, were you born in a barn? When has being on all fours ever been more comfortable than collecting welfare? I don't know. Most importantly, she wants people to know that this isn't a rock-bottom choice. Like many sex workers, Spielberg has chosen this path because it feels right for her. This is a positive, empowering choice, she said. I realize there's no shame in having a fascination with this industry and wanting to do something that is safe, sane, and consensual. <laughs> Arguably none of those three things. Safe, sane, and consensual? Are you kidding? We're talking about smut porn. You fucking dummy. She made the career change official on her private Instagram account about a month ago, according to the NY Post. Her restricted social media account, Bio, reveals that she will have an account on OnlyFans, a cell phone app that allows not-safe-for-work, risque, or uncensored images. The Tennessee native told The Sun that she also uploaded videos to popular porn site Pornhub, but has removed them until she gets her license approved. Spielberg is engaged to former professional dart player Chuck Pankow 
47. Yes, so she's also, amid becoming a porn star, engaged to a man um, double her age. She's 23, he's 47. Not a good look, but hey. And, you know, that story really boggled my mind. Because here you have a young lady whose father is famed director, industry mogul, Steven Spielberg. E.T., Indiana Jones, Jaws, Saving Private Ryan. Um, what else? The Color Purple, Schindler's List. The man is basically Hollywood. Her father is Hollywood. And the Spielberg name could open so many doors. It could open the door to pretty much any career field. And she chooses to take that name to open the door to smut film. To become a smut porn artist. Artist. It's beyond me. And it would be disingenuous to say that I worry for her because I don't know her. It's just a sad story that confuses me. Because... Again, to reiterate, Steven Spielberg, legendary film director. That name could have opened the door for any career she wanted to take. She goes and becomes a porn actress. It's obviously a cry for help. It's obviously a disrespectful backhand to her father's name. You know what I mean? Like, he is in the business of creating amazing films what does she do in contradiction make the most base vile disgusting types of acts that you could put on film it's a complete contradiction and in an article that i read um yesterday apparently it has come out that you know according to family friends the Spielbergs are embarrassed. According to the article, of course they love their daughter, of course they support their daughter, but they are a little embarrassed because, um, you know, this announcement of hers, Michaela, apparently it's affecting some of their other children. So as parents, they are concerned for the safety of their children. And I do wish the best for her. Um, she's a young lady. This is obviously a sign of, you know, I mean, she calls it empowering. But any reasonable, logical person would look at that situation and say, it's a cry for help. And it's making the best out of a bad situation. I mean, 
you can argue to the cows come home. You can out, you can argue to the cows come home that it's empowering, but it's it, it's really nonsensical, and at the very least, it's making the best out of a bad situation, because like, you know, if you're a if you're a young lady, twenty three years old, and you're entering the porn industry. To make the best out of a bad situation, it's like, okay, you're the producer, um, you are the owner of your work, you know, you're in control, you're making money off of your porn films, and that's the best of a bad situation. But when you take the daughter of a very wealthy, famous man and put them in the same position, it's nonsensical. Why would you do that? And that's what I mean by how it boggles my mind. You know, you got people like Kobe Bryant out there banging it out, busting his ass, doing the right thing, hard work, perseverance, a role model. Then you have people who, by the luck of the draw, have opportunity bestowed upon them Michaela Spielberg the daughter of a of the like the most famous arguably the most famous director alive Steven Spielberg industry icon why she would choose this path is beyond me and it just it really makes you think And it really makes you have gratitude for what you're doing. You know, that's where I take my gratitude. Because as an actor extraordinaire, you know, out here at the crack of dawn, making YouTube videos, busting it out day, day and day after day. I can take gratitude that, you know, I'm happy with what I'm doing. And I feel no... I feel no, I feel really nothing. I feel, um, I feel just, I don't know. I feel nothing. (laughs) It's like just another day at the office and I'm fortunate for it. I feel, I feel like a, a squirrel feels. You ever see a squirrel in a tree? You know, chewing on a peanut. You know, I feel like a squirrel in a tree. I feel like a dove, you know, on a rainbow, (laughs) on a fucking olive branch. I feel like a caterpillar on a fucking tree branch. I feel like nothing. And... There's a lot of gratitude in that. And these news stories that encapsulate, you know, the greatest of the greats, the lowest of the lows, the sordid milieu of show business. It can really boggle your mind and, you know, 
That's where I take my gratitude. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. And again, um, I do feel for this Michaela Spielberg. She's a young lady. She's got her whole life ahead of her. Um, apparently, she took down some of these videos. So hopefully, it's a case in which, I mean, I, I remember reading in other articles, she suffers from like bipolar in the past, she has suffered from like bipolar disorder, alcoholism, and uh, anxiety. So hopefully through this process, you know, this public, this public, I guess, attention that she's been getting lately, hopefully this will kind of snap her back to reality and she can make some better choices because she has the opportunity you know if she wants to feel self-affirmed in her body images make these videos personal make your little smut films your pornographic pornos make them personal between you and your husband and go on and do something else it's it's a last choice career porn and that's me being opinionated, but not judgmental, because I get it. I am also a piece of shit. <laughs> um, one thing, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtra on the podcast, I am also an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Three plus years of continuous sobriety. I've been sober over three years, and I drank... I drank for 16 years. 16 years I was out there getting drunk. <clears throat> now here I am, 33 years old. Three years of sobriety. And, you know, I was out there living the degenerate life. I bounced around in men's shelters. I paid for sex, you know. <laughs> escorts just a couple times <laughs> strippers you know i blew um tax returns <laughs> at the strip club making it rain on them bitches you know and it would be hypocritical of me to sit here and you know condemn this young lady michaela spielberg for going into the porn industry when it's like i get it life is weird People make strange decisions under the influences of drugs and alcohol, and it shouldn't be a defining factor in one's life. I sure hope it doesn't define me, you know, for the rest of my life. Burnout drunk, you know, degenerate. You, you paid for a sexual escort once. I was horny. I was drunk. I was just trying to be like my heroes. All my heroes did drugs. You know, all my heroes did drugs, got drunk, fucked hookers. You know, I was just trying to be like my friends, <laughs> the legendary people I looked up to in the industry. Right. I'm not going to name names here, but it's it's all in the strange realm of addiction, substance abuse, delusion. 
And that's why I believe in a concrete solution when it comes to addressing issues of um, substance abuse. For example, I am belonging. I am belonging to a 12-step program. Now, 12-step recovery, um, that's nothing official. These are meetings that you can attend all over the world. That's how far the program reaches. There's no dues, no fees, no emphasis on religion, no emphasis on God. You're free to believe in what you believe. It's basically group therapy. You attend these meetings. You get to share on issues pertaining to your alcoholism. Then you get to listen. You get to hear from others. And in doing that, you come out of your isolation. And you, yeah, you come out of your isolation because alcoholism slash addiction, alcoholism slash addiction, it's very isolating, antisocial, self-involved behavior, right? So you come out of your isolation, and in doing so, you become a part of a community. And day by day, your days add up. Then one day... You open your eyes and you're living a new life, free of, um, free of the disrespect you have shown others and free of the disrespect you have shown yourself. And when your eyes are open in that light, you can make the best choices for yourself. And if that is, um, sex work, Uh, trade work, professional work, entertainer, whatever that decision is, it will be clear to you. And um, that's the benefit of, of thorough, thorough recovery. Um, the first step being in a 12-step program. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Yeah. That is the first step. And that is a step that speaks to accountability. And once you have that clarity to be accountable for yourself, that desire to be accountable for yourself, it just opens up the door for more growth in recovery. So yes, definitely say, definitely seek it out, folks, if you're out there and you're struggling. It worked for me. It could work for anybody. And, um, you know, going forward, I'm very blessed that I've had the experience to, you know, go through that dark period. You know, people say in recovery that, At some point, you, you can appreciate and value your alcoholism because it teaches you like no other teacher could have. It taught me like nobody else could have taught me. When I was out there drinking, when I was out there in the throes, the ravages of my alcoholism, nothing could really reach me. I was in my own world. 
And through my recovery, it taught me like no other could. I had to learn the hard way. And that's not to be um, arrogant, pompous, you know. It's actually a blessing that I'm an alcoholic, blah, 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 because I'm so egotistical. Yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. It's perfect that I'm an alcoholic. It's perfect. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it taught me like no other. I couldn't have learned any other way because my mind was closed. I couldn't have learned any other way because my mind was closed. And in the reflection of sobriety, it taught me like no other. And that's what I'm very grateful for today. And um, I wish, I wish that out to anybody out there. You know, I put that forward to anybody out there struggling. You know, it's yours to have. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. Yep. I'm talking mop buckets, slop buckets, toilets, tampons, urinals, parking lots, um, garbage bins, garbage trolleys, garbage bags, recycle bags, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. I'm motherfucking janitor. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. God made dirt and dirt bust your ass. I'm a janitor, folks. I push a little mop bucket. I dip the mop in the mop water. Then I mop the floor. You know, mopping floors. I wash windows. You know, I push a garbage trolley. You know, I vacuum. You know, and if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. You know, as I mentioned, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Having a nine-to-five keeps me focused, earning an honest income. Very grateful for that. Because idle hands are the devil's playground. (laughs) So when you're twiddling your thumbs, twiddly-D, that's when you can get off the mark. Start getting illusions of grandiosity, illusions of grandeur, you know? These great sweeping expectations, blah, 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 these stupid ideas. Keeping focused, you know, working nine to five, earning an income, keeps me on the straight and narrow. And as I also mentioned, I am an actor extraordinaire. Yeah, and, you know, it takes money to make money, you know. I'm banging it out, putting myself out there, and there are expenses, um, equipment, software, um, you know, wardrobe, you know, flights, should I want to take a flight somewhere, um, and also the plans that I have in the future. I don't want to speak too um, ahead of myself, but suffice to say, it takes money to be an independent artist, you know? And I also learned that, you know, this this romantic notion of the starving artist, which I've lived for many years, men's shelters, alcoholism, 
banging it out, bumbling around, stumbling from one dumb situation to the next, living a bohemian, autistic, starving artist lifestyle. What they fail to mention to you is that it's only cool or romantic, sexy. It's only fetching to be a starving artist if you make it. If you don't make it, then you're just a pathetic, washed-up, has-been, lousy hack. Rotten, crummy, good-for-nothing, lay-about, louse-about, you know, you fucking leech, you fucking parasite. You know, that's what you are. You're a chump. Sleeping on somebody's couch, begging for a meal. It ain't a good look. So, through my journey as an actor, as a janitor, (laughs) I've learned how to work smarter and not harder. Yeah. And I'm also learning a lot about myself, but in a way that's relatable to everybody. I'm learning about um, loving one another as you love thyself. Is that how it goes? Come on, Jesus, tell me. It happened like that, right? Love one another as I have loved you. Do unto others as you will do unto yourself. Love thy neighbor as you love thyself. The golden rule, as Jesus said, live and let live, right? It's hard to love a motherfucker. They ain't worth it, you know? You ever see a bozo walking down the street? Like, look at this fucking dummy, head down, bumbling around, walking from side to side, hogging the sidewalk. You fucking degenerate. You're worthless. Why would I ever love you? (laughs) People are so generally unworthy of love, including myself. It's hard to love a motherfucker, right? And that's what I'm dealing with, you know? My supervisor at work, right? She's this Peruvian lady, right? Jonathan. Good morning, Jonathan. Jonathan, I want you to go to the men's room and clean out the men's room, okay, Jonathan? Take your, take your rag, take your rag and your broom and go sweep and wipe down the men's room, Jonathan. Jonathan! You know? <laughs> so I got this, like, little Peruvian supervisor. The other day, she tells me she's going to do a task, Right? There's this task that, like, we're shorthanded at work, right? So everybody's kind of running around, filling in where they can fill in, right? So I'm getting a little overwhelmed. I got a lot to do. So she tells me, okay, Jonathan, I'm going to go now. I'm going to go fill up the paper towels. I will go and fill up the paper towels. I will fill up the paper towels, the toilet paper. You know, she's going to go fill up fill up an area. So then the next day when I come to work, she goes, Jonathan, bad news, Jonathan. I couldn't fill up the area because you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you didn't. Jonathan, how come you didn't fill up the toilet paper, Jonathan? I couldn't fill it up because you didn't do that. Blah, blah, blah. She's accusing me. I'm like, what the hell you want? What, what, what the hell you want me to do about it? You know, what? What are you talking about, right? She's, she's coming at me with all this, like, BS, basically, saying that she couldn't fill up the paper towels because I didn't 
fill up the paper towels or I left something unlocked and blah, 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 blah. Complete hogwash. And I noticed that about her. I noticed that about her that when she um, appears to be in the wrong, she points the blame. Like sometimes I'll walk into the office, the break room, and it's not break time, right? I'll go in there to get like, you know, sometimes you have to go get a new um, dish rag or a new, you know, garbage bags or, you know, like a vacuum bag or a mop bucket, you know? So, you know, sometimes I'll be in the break room, the staff room to get supplies and she'll be sitting down there. And then when she sees you, she'll go, Jonathan. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. It's the oldest trick in the book. If you work, if you work for a living, it's the oldest trick in the book. You know, Um, displace, displace the blame. You know, point the finger. You know, oh, it's not me. It's them. No, it's not. No, they did something wrong. It's the oldest trick in the book. So that's basically what she was doing to me, you know? Jonathan, how come you didn't fill up the paper towels, Jonathan? You didn't do this, Jonathan. You didn't do that, Jonathan. You didn't do this, Jonathan. Jonathan! What, the, what do you want me to do about it? What, what? You know? For crying out loud, I'm busting my ass, busting my chops, running back and forth, washing down toilets, filling paper towels, changing recycling bins. You know, and she's making this grocery list of shit that I didn't do. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Blah, 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 blah. It's complete hogwash. She's pointing the fig finger, finger. She's displacing the blame. It's the oldest trick in the book. And I looked at that, and it really turned me off. I was like, "Wow, you're my supervisor. You're you're somebody that I work with." And you know that we're all working hard to, to overcome some of the tasks that we have to overcome in a day. We're all working very hard. And instead of just saying that you made a mistake, you didn't do what you said you were going to do, you try to displace the blame. You try to put the blame on me, point the finger at me. That's how... That's how you think to put more stress on a person when they're already under stress and when it's a complete lie. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. And she was like lying to my face. Jonathan, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. When it's like, I know that the issue isn't what I did or didn't do. The issue is... She said she was going to do something, and she didn't do it. She couldn't have the humility just to say, oh, I fucked up and I didn't do it. And that's why it's so hard to love a motherfucker, you know? The world is full of people like this, self-involved, self-important, can never admit when they do something wrong, will... Take an opportunity to step on you and put you down a peg if it makes them feel better about themselves. You know, it's just so childish and pathetic, but I see through it. And 
This is a small microcosm of a greater effect, you know? If people are willing to, you know, cast blame on something as stupid as who restocked the toilet paper, if they're willing to play that game, imagine what they would do on, you know, governmental conspiracy. Wartime crimes. Crimes against humanity. It wasn't my fault. It was their fault. They fucking committed the genocide. I had nothing to do with it. I was just eating a cheeseburger, you know? It's hard to love a motherfucker. And you know what? Dealing with people day to day on these micro levels, it's helping me overcome and be accountable for my part in the bigger picture. And that's how I think and that's how I relate my experiences, you know? And I find that very important. And I think it's relatable across industry, you know? Whatever you're doing in the workplace, you know? Understand when, you know, people are playing games with you and it's nothing personal. You should take that experience and try to make the world a better place. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Janitha Ramcharan. Janitha. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah. Stand-up comedian. 11 years of service. Um, it's been a very thought-provoking beginning to 2020. Everything I spoke on in regards to the working world, loving your neighbor, working together... Everything I mentioned in the performing world, as an actor, it relates to me as a stand-up comedian. You know, finding that place, finding that rhythm. And, uh, and I've been speaking in recent episodes, I've been speaking about trying to balance what's going on in my career and find what works for me. I have a lot of experience, but I also have a lot to learn, and I have a lot to flush out in me. I guess you could say, at 33 years of age, 11 years as a stand-up comedian, 19 years as a performer in general, I have, you know, I'm a young man with ample experience looking to transcend. So I've done a lot of the right thing in terms of pursuing my craft. And I got more work to do to flush out what I've already worked very hard for. And I feel very happy and fortunate in that. And... Going forward, the next couple of weeks, I will have more to report on Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, involving my stand-up. I have a new regiment of writing, and I'm trying to balance out the way in which I approach my stage time. 
and the opportunities that are in front of me, how I deal with that. Because, you know, it's tricky, you know. You don't want to work like, like in any industry, you know. Let's say you're a capable electrician, you know. There are certain standards that you meet. There are certain standards that you that you want to pursue. Well, sometimes life ain't a bowl of cherries, you know? You got the pits, so to speak. Goddamn cherry pits, right? Life can't always be a bowl of cherries, right? Sometimes there's some pits. And that's what I'm dealing with right now, you know? I've had a few cherries in my life, busted a few cherries open, but now I'm fucking with these pits. (laughs) And, um, you know, I don't know trying not to choke to death and um, ride out this little bumpy patch, you know. And again, luckily I have the experience, the confidence, the know-how. I just got to kind of get myself positioned better. Yeah. And um, I'm going to be accountable, you know. It's not always easy to Stand up and speak your mind, say your truth, ask for what you need. And that's what I'm learning to do. And, you know, I will have more to report in due time. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. And those are the four things that sum me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Little sip of coffee. All right. What's going on? What's going on in the world, folks? The big bad world. The news cycle. Well, basically, on an international global level, The story is the coronavirus, right? And, you know, here's the latest and greatest of the coronavirus, you know. It's a very convenient situation, I would say. Obviously, it's inconvenient, but I mean convenient in terms of... Did anybody notice that 2020 began with the announcement of World War III? Am I fucking crazy for noticing this? Wasn't President Donald Trump talking about, well, I shouldn't say that, but weren't news articles talking about potential World War III? Wasn't that the big news headline in like major news outlets? Potential World War III? Has the world come to the brink of fucking mayhem? Well, how convenient, how convenient now that um, we have this coronavirus um, eclipsing all common sense and reason. So who knows what the fuck's really behind this coronavirus. But um, here's a very interesting article that kind of leads, lends, that kind of lends credence to what I'm saying here. This is an article from... um, cbc.ca 
Why some experts are questioning China's coronavirus claims. This is an article by Jonathan Gatehouse. This year's broadcast started with a six-minute celebration of China's international belt and road infrastructure projects, as interpreted via ethnic dance. Okay. Then came the traditional musical salute to the lunar year, the lunar new year, with women waving feathered fans and men dressed like caped superheroes. <coughs> a pair of comedians took the stage, followed by a boy band style rendition of Wild Wolf Disco, whatever the fuck that is. Wild Wolf Disco, one of the country's top hits. Well, there you go, one of the country's top hits. Finally, a half hour in, things got serious. String music swelled and TV screens across China filled with images of gowned and masked hospital workers in Wuhan bravely attending to victims of the COVID-19 virus outbreak. And the six hosts of state television's annual spring festival gala stood in a line before the camera, doing their best to soothe the fears of the estimated 1.3 billion people watching at home. <laughs> I wasn't. The central government is doing all they can to succeed, one proclaimed. We are quarantining the virus, but not quarantining love, said another. <laughs> Good lord. Please believe China. All will be better, promised a third. A month after the January 24th broadcast, it's clear that such optimism was at best premature. The number of novel coronavirus cases in China has expanded dramatically, with 77,042 77, people having contracted the disease as of Sunday according to the World Health Organization, and 2,445 deaths, a 3.0% mortality rate. And while there are indications the rate of infection within the country might be slowing, the flu-like illness continues its spread in Japan, South Korea, Singapore, Iran, and beyond, with 1,769 cases and 17 associated deaths across 28 countries. Canada accounted for eight of those confirmed illnesses, with a ninth presumptive case, but none of the fatalities. This against a backdrop of unprecedented measures to contain the disease. A staggering 60 million people in Hubei province remain on lockdown, largely confined to their homes, with schools and businesses closed. A total of... 78 million people across China are under strict travel restrictions, and almost two dozen airlines have severely curtailed or flat-out cancelled their flights in and out of the country. But questions now swirl about what the Chinese knew during the first crucial few weeks of the outbreak, and if information about the severity and spread of the disease was being suppressed instead of shared. A possible repeat of what happened during the early days of the SARS crisis in 2002-2003, when the country's communist leadership downplayed a similar illness that eventually moved around the world, infecting more than 8,000 people and killing 774, including 
44 in Canada. They promised transparency. They promised everything would change. They promised a new rule book, said Laurie Garrett, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and crybaby and author who has tracked global outbreaks and epidemics for decades. I added the crybaby part. Laurie Garrett, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, said, an author who tracked global outbreaks and epidemics for decades. Garrett, who was based in Beijing during the SARS outbreak, says China's COVID-19 statistics have given her a strange case of deja vu. When you started seeing this long period where the numbers either didn't budge or even one day went backwards, to me, that just looked like completely fabricated fabricated figures, she says. There was absolutely no reason to believe that was true, especially if this was a SARS-related virus. Yan Zhuang Hong, a professor of global health studies at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. <laughs> I could have sworn it would have been China with that name, Yan Zhuang Hong. Anyways, Yan Huang Zong, Yang Zhuang Huang, a professor of global health studies at Seton Hall University in New Jersey and senior fellow at the Council of Foreign Relations, agrees that China's early reports on the illness were severely flawed. It seems very clear that either local government officials or the health authorities messed up in their response to the outbreak, he says. Low-balled case numbers and inaccurate information about who, how the disease was spreading meant that healthcare workers failed to take adequate precautions to isolate patients or even protect themselves, he says. When the preparations fail, you are guaranteed to see how a small outbreak evolves into an epidemic and takes heavy toll on the economy and society, he says. At least two weeks were squandered. Yes. So, people are questioning, has China acted responsibly and transparent um, during the first few weeks of this coronavirus outbreak? And are they acting transparent in general? What are the real numbers? What are the real statistics? And that kind of goes to my point of how convenient, how convenient this virus appeared, how, how just eat your dinner the whole situation is. Here, eat your fucking dinner. Eat it. Go to your room. You know, it's like your parents just like cramming your fucking lunch down your throat, cramming your dinner down your throat. Eat your dinner. Go to your room. Listen to this. It's like, all of a sudden, it's just like coronavirus, outbreak, fear, pandemonium. Forget everything we're talking about. It's not World War III. There's no indigenous rights being, um, you know, withheld in Canada. Tyendinaga, Mohawk Territory, if I'm pronouncing that right. There's no nothing to think about other than your health. This pandemic, epidemic, coronavirus. Ooh. 
I guess this article is saying basically the numbers could be larger rather than what I'm kind of alluding to. Just a fabricated nonsense bullshit thing to begin with. But it is rather convenient that there's such a lack of transparency and a lot of a lot of um, speculation and misinformation about what's going on with this coronavirus. I mean, obviously it's serious. I don't want to downplay that. There have been deaths. The World Health, the World Health Organization has been involved. But generally speaking, it's a very convenient, well, inconvenient for society, inconvenient for any reasonable person. But for a larger perspective, the powers that be, it's very convenient. Is it not? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about this coronavirus and its mass, its, its global reaching um, factors, the global reaching factors of this coronavirus and what it means for the international community and what it means in general? You know, it's been a brow-beating month or so of this pandemic and all this speculation is surfacing there's feelings of um racial bias towards you know the chinese community there's a lack of trust um from the international community regarding china and there's you know just this overall sense of um, of mystery, so to speak. So hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What are your thoughts? But make sure you wash your fucking hands before you type me that email, right? I have no idea how the coronavirus gets spread. You know, maybe you can come through the keyboard, you know? <coughs> oh, I got the coronavirus. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have read that email. These fucking idiots. Yeah. So yeah, do hit me up. Taking a sip of coffee. And yes, of course, um, as always in in the news as of late. Trumpity dump 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 dump. Donald Trump. I am trumped the fuck out. I'm taking a Trump dump. <laughs> Fake news, okay? Witch hunt. Fake news. I'm taking a Donald Trump dump. I can't stomach. I can't think about. I can't look at. Another news article revolving around involving this man for at least till at least the fucking November um, election in the United States. You know, last time I really talked about Donald Trump since then. Basically, he has been acquitted of his um, Senate trial in regards to the Ukrainian uh, military funding scandal. You know, 
bribing the president of or, you know, allegedly withholding funds, military funds to the president of, well, to Ukraine in returns for, you know, information against his running rival, Joe Biden, Democratic rival, Joe Biden. He has been acquitted of his Senate trial. He has been, oh, he did the State of the Union, which was very strange. Have you ever watched the State of, a, the, State of the Union address? He was like, okay, under my leadership, one billion black jobs have come into the country under my leadership. And like a wave of people would stand up, <laughs> clapping. Under my vigilance, one trillion female jobs have been created. That's a fact. Everybody stands up. Like every fucking thing he said, I stayed off of Twitter for exactly 20 minutes yesterday. That's a fact. People get up and clap. Every fucking thing he said, people were getting up and clapping, right? You know, I do not wear a wig. This is all real. This bird's nest on my head is real. That's a fact. Everybody's clapping, right? Like everybody just kept standing up and clapping <laughs> during this fucking um, State of the Union address. And it was just like, he was just saying thing upon thing upon thing. The economy is great. Jobs are created. International peace. You know, the country has been better than it's ever been. Blah, 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 blah. He was just saying things. How do you believe it? Especially in the face of all the people, you know, who, who oppose him. You know, like his whole... His whole um, Senate trial was based on, like, not based on, but, you know, one of the things that you can take away from this Ukraine scandal was there were many Republicans who said, yes, the actions of Donald Trump were wrong, but are they impeachable? <laughs> Do they merit impeachment? So it's like even his own party agrees that he's wrong, but they play these partisan politics just to remain in power. It's like, how, how are you supposed to believe anything he says? It's very confusing. It's a lot of boondoggle, filibustering, backdoor fucking barnyard nonsense, if you ask me. But... Hey, these are the times we live in. So I'm taking a Trump dump, you know. I'm putting him on the back burner, you know. The latest thing I had to witness was um, his, his um, outcry at the Oscars, you know. Okay, Parasite? What the hell's the deal with that? How do you have a foreign film, okay, win Best Picture at the Oscars? How do you have that, okay? I mean, whatever happened to Gone with the Wind? Sunset Boulevard, okay? Bring back, bring back civil rights. 
Bring back civil war propaganda slave plantation films. Gone with the wind. Am I the only one who loves this type of shit? Okay. Fake news. Witch hunt. Going up there, babbling, bumbling on about how, like, Parasite didn't deserve to win best film at the Oscars. How does a foreign film? And to be honest, that was kind of strange. I'm like, has that ever happened? But still, like a president to be whining, bellyaching, kabeeking about this type of shit. That's that's all more the reason why. And then he fucking badmouthed Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Yeah, that little wise guy. Okay, let me tell you something about Brad Pitt. Okay. Loser. I've never been very much of a big fan. Okay. Not a fan. How, how are you going to fucking critique Brad Pitt? You know? Sure, Brad Pitt said what he said about him when he... Uh, Brad Pitt made some off-the-cuff remark. I don't know. But you can't do... You can't do it. Brad Pitt can't do anything wrong in my eyes. Nothing but the right thing. He can't do nothing wrong in my eyes. So go fuck yourself, Trump. Leave Pitt alone. That's why he really ruffled my feathers. You stay away from him. He had it hard, he's had it hard enough as it is. You know? <laughs> I love me some Brad Pitt. Once upon a time in Hollywood was dope. You leave him alone. So like all more the reason why I'm taking a Trump dump. I'm expelling him from my bowels. I'm not thinking about that fucking bird brain, bird haired, bird nest fucking dummy. Till at least November. Let him go and create more lies and babbling. Let him do what he does. Unless it's something absolutely newsworthy. I don't want to even think about that dummy. Till the November elections. Election, I guess. So yes. And before I get out of here, I would like to mention, it has been a very intriguing time here on Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. Um, You know, in the face of a lot of world news, you know, coronavirus, you know, global affairs, a new decade, 2020. And what I've come to in my realization, and which I hope is relatable to anybody out there striving for theirs, you know, anybody out there rocking the boat, doing what they got to do, You know, I'm thinking very much about relationships. Relationships. Relationships with friends, family, spouses, community. And how those factor in and the accountability that, you know, a good, honest look at your relationships can really have. You know, in this time where I'm transitioning career um, goals and career um, strides, strides, I'm also evaluating my relationships. You know, I'm thinking about friends, family, and it's almost like my internal conscience looking for reasons to get snippy, get argumentative, 
to, you know, well, you know, maybe things would be easier if I didn't have to deal with this, you know, or maybe things would have been easier if I didn't have to deal with that in returns in regards to like relationships and, you know, basically accountability. You know what I mean? Like, you know, relationships play a very important part in, you know, it's like, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. Oh, he comes from a good family. The importance of relationships and community speak volumes volumes of where a person's from and where they're headed. And during this time of transition, when I'm really trying to get a footing in my career and my career choices, I find myself going back in my mind and thinking about friends and family and relationships. And while there's a lot of joy and happiness there, there's also a sense of sadness, regret. Um, I won't say resentment because I don't harbor those things. But, you know, there is a sense of sadness, regret, a woe is me mentality that I would be lying to say, I would be lying to say that doesn't cross my mind from time to time. But it's good that I recognize that. And I think it's relatable because whenever you're out there and you're trying to do what you do, when you come up against hurdles, stumbling blocks, you know, you tend to lash out at the people around you, you know. Oh, it's my friend's fault. It's my family's fault. How come there's never been somebody out there looking out for me? That's kind of what the main thought is, the main qualm, the main complaint for me is, how come there was never anyone out there helping me? How come I always had to do it by myself? You know, that's the complaint. But then again, that's the complaint of the world. You know? The vast majority of us are on our own. Yes, we have friends that can lend an ear and, you know, can, can lend an ear and bring a smile to a tough day. Yes, we have family that, you know, love us. <laughs> and we can go have Christmas dinner and open up presents on Boxing Day. Whatever. Of course. And, uh, and to be honest, a lot of us don't even have that. But the point being, most people don't have this benevolent person in human form, in the human realm, bestowing us with gifts and opportunities. And it feels so far away sometimes for people. And I know I definitely have my moments feeling that. How come I don't ever get any real help? Why am I always busting it out by myself? But you know what? I do believe in a higher power. 
And I feel so much gratitude. And, you know, I know for a fact that things would have ended up a lot worse for me in life had I not had to rise to certain challenges, you know? If I was just bestowed with, like, all my heart's desire desires, if I just got everything I wanted, I probably would have drank myself to death, wound up doing something stupid, harming somebody, harming myself. I was a train wreck, you know? And I had to come through all of this through my teacher, alcoholism. You know, my Mr. Miyoshi or whatever, wax on, wax off. My Mr. Miyagi, you know, alcoholism. (laughs) And, you know, my higher power, God. And, you know, my complaint is the complaint of the world. Why me? Basically. And what I'm coming to realize is, why me? Well, why not me? It's the story of the world. And I'm just going forward grateful, sweating, dripping, and happy and fortunate for everything that's coming across my plate, across my desk, over here at Jonathan Ramtrend, the podcast. And I hope that's relatable to anybody, you know? The, it's true. It's true. It's, it's an inconvenient truth, but what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Thank you, Kanye. Hallelujah. It's your old Tucker buddy. Guess who? Jonathan Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 25th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Yeah. That, 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 don't kill me. Go make me stronger. I've been waiting all night now. That's how long I've been on you. Hold up, me, hold up, me, hold up, me, make you stronger. Yeah. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What makes you stronger? Yeah. What do you think of, um, you know, the coronavirus, global affairs? What do you think about relationships? How are you handling yours? You know? What part do they play in your life? You know? Let's talk about it. Hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com Yeah. You can find me on Spotify. You can find me on iTunes. You can find me on YouTube. Jonathan Ramcharan. Hit it up. If you're enjoying the show, please do tell a friend. You know? I could use it. I could use all the help I can get. So yes, please do tell a friend if you're digging. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. Aight? Peace.